welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. sitting there, I'm listening to that music during the prayer time, and I think, man, some people are just kind of resting in the arms of Jesus now, you know. So I'll, I'll, we're, we're going to start with some exercise. We've got to get some exercise going on. I, I hope that you wore comfortable clothes for this, but just be assured your heart rate's not going to get up. You're not going to break out into a sweat or anything. This is more of a mental exercise, and so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an incomplete statement and I want you to fill in the blank, okay? Incomplete statement, you're gonna fill in the blank. For example, uh, I might say a bird in the hand is worth, and you might say two in the bush, or you might say, you know, about $10. Um, if I were to say a penny saved is, you might say a penny earned, or you might say still not very much money. There's no right or wrong answers, but I will say some of these may be a little bit cliche, uh, so whatever answer you have, you can go with the cliche or you can create your own because we're about create this year. Uh, but I want you to speak it out loud. I want people to be able to hear what you say. If you say it really loud, I might even actually be able to hear what you say. So are y'all ready? Do we need to stretch? Okay, here we go. First one. You've got to know when to... Know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You got to know when to stop. You got to know when enough is enough. There are a lot of different answers to that one, but I was pretty sure hold them would be what came out of most people's mouths. So let's do another one. If you build it. Yeah, the whisper kind of led you that direction, didn't it? If you build it, you better count the cost. That one's actually biblical, people. <laughs> no one builds a house without first considering the cost of it. All right, another one. There's nothing. <laughs> Same reaction in the last service, too. Let, let's try it again. There is nothing. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. We just gave you that one a few minutes ago, people. That was our creed, right? Okay. Number four, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Thank you, Yogi Berra. Take the road less traveled. Thank you very much. Don't run over it is also a popular answer. And just one more. It's all fun and games until... <laughs> okay, so you can put this one in a search engine and it's going to be, it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye. I don't know who came up with that one first. Uh, it's all fun and games until somebody calls the police. It's all fun and games until somebody eats the last or until somebody drinks the last. But this is the one that was going through my head this week. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Once somebody gets hurt, it's not fun anymore. It's not a game anymore. And this is what we're going to see happening in the church that God has created and God continues to create. 
Now, for several weeks, we've been talking about creating the church and what we experience. We actually know that Jesus, when he asked the disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? And Peter is the one that says, you are the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah, you're the one we've been looking for. And Jesus says, it's on this that I will build my church. And that's the first time we actually see the word church used in the Bible. But then in Acts chapter 2, all those who believed in Jesus now experience this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we always say that that is the birthday of the church. That is when the church is birthed. And so what we first want to know is that God creates the church out of people. People like you, people like me, people that can be undignified and you know undisciplined and misinformed and people that make mistakes, people out of every tribe, every nation, every language. God creates the church out of people. And to be a part of God's church, it says that you have to turn from your sin and turn to God. And of course it adds, and if you've not been baptized, you need to be baptized. And that is how anybody can be a part of the church. The church is not exclusive of people except people that choose not to be a part of it. God creates the church out of people. And the people that God uses to build the church are committed to a high level of discipleship. This is what we read in Acts 2.42. After thousands of people on that day of Pentecost have professed faith in Christ, turned from their sin, turned to God, they get baptized. They had this outstanding devotion to four things. The first was the apostles' teaching. And the apostles were teaching them about Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus wants from us. They were committed to fellowship or to community. The Greek word was koinonia, and we looked at how koinonia has a concern and a commitment to everybody's highest good. And that in community, there is healing for those who hurt. They were also committed to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper. And then their fourth commitment was they were a people committed to prayer. These are the devotions that the early church had that helped them to be the church that God was creating through the power of the Spirit and their response of devotion. And as a result of their devotion and their discipleship, the people began to experience then personal transformation. They became bolder. They became more generous in the stewarding of those things that God had given them. They became obedient. And brothers and sisters, this is what happens with us. When we respond to an invitation to become a part of the church that God is creating and we devote ourselves to these things which help us then to grow as disciples, in our lives we experience personal transformation. Following that, Josh did such a good job of showing us what happens in the book of Acts that in Acts chapter 2 it says God added to their number daily and we continue to see that, but now something changes it's not just addition, it's multiplication. The Holy Spirit is moving. People are understanding this Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one we've been looking for. It was explosive growth. Whenever the Holy Spirit moves, the Holy Spirit always moves faster than our ability to keep up with it. And when we can't keep up with it, then we have the same experience they had in the book of Acts. They had growing pains. They had some problems with how they were growing. Rapid growth brings with it 
growing pains. Now, everything sounds good, right? Holy Spirit's given, high level of commitment, high level of devotion. We experience personal transformation and we're able to work through our growing pains. It all sounds good, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. And after we read that part that Josh preached last week, we come to the story of Stephen. Now, Stephen was one of the seven that was chosen to serve as a deacon so the apostles could focus on the preaching and teaching. The deacons were the ones who were handling that daily distribution of food. Stephen was one of those chosen, and he really has this burning desire to talk about Jesus, to convince his fellow Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And it doesn't go so well for Stephen. Well, actually, he's kind of the epitome of things getting worse. Prior to that time, when they would go in, and remember at this time, those that are becoming part of the church are Jewish converts. And they just knew the temple or a synagogue was a sacred place, and so they, they would go into the synagogue, and when they did, they were confronted verbally, stop doing that. They were threatened. That was kind of the first step. Stop doing that or else. They didn't stop doing it. They prayed that they could have more boldness. And now the Jews are really getting fed up with it. They have them arrested and they have them put in prison, and there are some that are even wanting to kill them for what they've done. That's what they did when Jesus disrupted things. Now they want to do the same thing to these followers of Jesus. But there was a wise elder among the Jews, a man by the name of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel said, look, here's the deal. This isn't the first time this has happened. This isn't the first time someone has claimed to be the Messiah. Don't freak out about it because if this really isn't the move of God, it's going to go away. Don't get rattled. It's going to go away. But if it is of God, you can't stop it. You can't stop it. So it was that they listened to Gamaliel, and instead of killing them, they had them flogged. And so here are the apostles, been proclaiming Jesus, the one that brings salvation to all people. And as they laid there in a pool of their own blood, they didn't say, never doing that again. They didn't say, we'll get even with those boys. No, instead, they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name. But they didn't stop. And this is what happens. That young man, Stephen, is taken outside the city, and he is stoned to death. He's killed for blasphemy. And this is in what we read. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. 
Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. The reality of persecution is not something that's easy for us to relate to because we enjoy a tremendous amount of religious liberty and privilege in our country. Some people will say the problem with the church today, because you know the church is struggling in the United States, they'd say the problem with the church today is that we've gotten away from those early things that we read about in the book of Acts. I actually appreciate a statement Andy Stanley made. He said, if you think your church is being like the church in the book of Acts, then that means your people are going into synagogues to tell people that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't really know of any churches that are doing that. But we enjoy a tremendous amount of privilege, so it's hard for us to relate to this idea of persecution. We can go next door and talk to our neighbor about Jesus, and they're probably not going to punch us in the nose. They're probably not going to pull out a gun and shoot us. You can wear your religious slogans on your T-shirts. You can put your bumper stickers on your car. You're not going to be the target of anybody's animosity because of your faith in Christ. Overwhelmingly so. There are exceptions. I understand that. But we enjoy tremendous privilege in our country. So it's hard for us to relate. Even though it is hard for us to relate, brothers and sisters, make no mistake, the church has enemies. There are people, there are powers, there are principalities. There are things that want us to go away. They want to do away with our mission. They would rather we didn't exist. We don't experience it here as much as they do in other places, but the church has enemies. Pardon me, I'm just really running out of spit this morning. Oh, that's good stuff. It's just water. In the early church, when the persecution breaks out, all of a sudden, everybody who had been huddled together in Jerusalem scatter. It says they go to Judea and they go to Samaria. Now, Jesus has said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, that's what you're going to do. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as persecution began to follow them, it didn't stay in Jerusalem, it began to follow them, then they began to migrate to Europe in Asia, in the northern parts of Africa. Christianity begins to spread as the church is scattered and persecution is what causes the church to scatter. But because we can't necessarily relate to that, what do we make of it? Did it stop there? Well, actually, Europe and Asia and the northern parts of Africa are all under the authority of a singular government, a singular emperor, a singular Caesar, if you will. It's all part of the Roman Empire. And when the Roman Empire begins to crumble, guess who they blame? These new people. These Christians. Christians were dragged into the Colosseum for sport to be mauled by by lions and animals or to be killed by gladiators. And the church continued to thrive. You see, the mission of the church thrives whenever we continue to live in faithfulness. 
That, that's not necessarily what we, we think about because the question is, what would we do if, if, if we were under persecution? The answer to that is we don't really know. <laughs> we don't really know exactly how would we, we respond. We don't know if we would run and hide. We don't know if we would flee. We don't know if we would fight back. We, we don't really know if we've not been in that situation. But we do know that Jesus said we need to act differently than the world does. You know, I mean, somebody comes against us, we're kind of like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where's the sword? I'm going to start chopping ears off. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, no, act differently. And we know what the apostles did was they continued to live in that faithfulness, that devotion of apostolic teaching, fellowship, sharing of meals, and prayer. They continued to experience life transformation. The mission of Christ thrives when we continue in faithfulness. Let me give you an example of that. If I were to ask you where's a place that you can think of that the gospel's not really welcomed, that missionaries don't really go, one of the places that might come to mind is China. China became a communist nation in 1949. That's when the Communist Party took over the government. And as a result, they ordered all Christian missionaries to leave the country. There were 637 missionaries from the China Inland Mission that were in China. They all had to leave. Now, as you can imagine, that was a devastating thing. We're trying to share the story of salvation with people, and now we're kicked out of the country for it. Within four years, 286 of those missionaries had redeployed to Japan or Southeast Asia, so the mission continued. But the question is, what happened in China? Well, church didn't quit. The church didn't go away. It went underground. It met in people's homes. In my lifetime, I've heard stories of people that smuggle Bibles into China. Did you know there are more Christians in China today than there were in 1949? In fact, we actually support a Chinese missionary. Y'all are aware of this, right? Reverend Fuchsia Wang down at the Norman province of Oklahoma. Uh, Fuchsia is our Chinese campus minister at OU. She's been there for several years, and I'm going to tell you, it's one of the most incredible ministries that we could ever support. Fuchsia came from China to the United States to study. She went to the University of Central Oklahoma. She got involved with the Chinese ministry there under the uh, direction of Reverend Pong Lao. She gave her life to Christ. She was baptized. She felt a call to ministry, so she did what it took to become ordained in our tradition. Every year at OU, when students are coming from China to study in the United States, we hear this testimony over and over and over again, and it never gets old. They will say, I grew up in China. I was an atheist. I was told that God did not exist. And when I came to the United States, Reverend Fuchsia would bring me in, and she would help me, and she would help me learn how to speak English, and she would tell me about Jesus. And I have committed my life to him and I am baptized. That's a great mission that we support. But that's not all that happens. Because all those students that 
give their lives to Christ and have to be baptized usually have to go back to China. And guess what they do? They meet in homes. They meet underground to share the story of Jesus. And when she's able, Fuchsia travels back to China to continue to meet with them. Even under that government, even under that enemy of the church, people continue in faithfulness and the church thrives. That kind of goes against conventional wisdom, doesn't it? But you can look through history, and there are a lot of examples that when Christians are persecuted, it is a multiplication that happens as we try to live out our mission. An early church father by the name of Tertullian wrote this. I love this statement. He said, kill us, torture us, condemn, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. For the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. How then should we live? We have been given the Spirit so that we might experience new life. The Spirit gives us power. The Spirit gives us gifts. And when we offer those gifts in service to Christ, we complete the mission of the church in different ways, in different times, with different peoples. All of us have opportunity to share the good news of Christ with people. Let's not wait for persecution to cause us to scatter. We have privilege. We have freedom. Let us use our freedom so that others hear the good news. I mean, honestly, when, when we think of what we do here on Sunday morning, we think of that, that this is important and we, we need to be here. That's why we expect our members to be here on Sunday. And, and the way I would describe this is this ought to be like a charging station. You know what a charging You know, you, electric cars, you got to have a charging. You can go to Crest parking lot. They've got charging stations for electric cars. The church that God created is a charging station for our faith. When we come here through our devotion, through our fellowship, through our prayers, through our teaching and preaching, we ought to get charged up so we can go out and run out of charge. <laughs> and then we come back and we get charged up again. Just making sense to y'all? Y'all mind if I get another drink? Let me give you an example of how the church that continues in faithfulness continues to thrive. This is not some abstract thought. This happened here at St. Andrews. When I came in 2006, the church had just completed the community life center. The construction had moved into it. And one of the things that that was constructed with was the idea that when you did demographic research, it said the best way to connect people and attract them to the church was through recreational ministries. And so that community life center was constructed with uh, two gyms going side by side so we could have upward basketball and cheer. Some of y'all were active in that. Some of y'all remember when that was a thriving ministry in our church. We had privilege for upward. When we wanted to get the word out, when we wanted to invite people to come participate in this basketball league where we can teach them foundational truths of the Christian faith, we had privilege. We could call Fisher, we could call Early Wine, we could call Wayland Bonds, we couldn't call South Lakes, they weren't open yet. We could call any school and more public school and we could say, how many students do you have? 225 students. Okay, if we bring 225 registrations for Upward Basketball and Cheer, will you put them in that sacred thing that's called the Thursday folder? 
And do y'all know about the Thursday folder? Okay. Carrie, did you have Thursday folder? Yeah. Had, yeah. Carrie just retired. Can you hear her boasting in this? We would take them to the school, and every student went home, and they had a registration, and if they wanted to play basketball, and they didn't want to do it at the YMCA or anywhere else, they could do it here at St. Andrews. We had privilege to do that, and every year, it's like, how many students do we have in our elementary schools? And we would get those brochures, and we'd send them out. Melvana, you remember that. You probably had a big part of that. And so it was that one day, without any warning, suddenly, more public schools said, you can't do that anymore. You can't bring all those brochures. We will not put them in Thursday folder. Do you remember that too? <laughs> and I can tell you, I remember the staff meeting when we were told that. People were not happy. People could not believe it. What the school said was, if you want to bring some and just put them on a table and somebody wants to get one, they can. Yeah, what's the likelihood somebody's going to just go to the office, hey, a basketball brochure, you know? It, it, people were not happy. And as nearly as I remember, why that got stopped the way it did had nothing to do with the enemies of the church. It had nothing to do with churches or those forces, those people as far as outside the church. It was other churches that didn't want us to be able to do that anymore. Because... If you went to another church and your child came home with Thursday folder and, wow, St. Andrews has a basketball league and they can send this home. I remember sometimes my kids would come home, a church would have something in there. And what happened was churches would go to the school and they would say, hey, would you put all these in the Thursday folder? And the answer was no. Because they didn't do what you have to do to get things in Thursday folder. We had to send it to the administration office, and we had to get approval, and when they approved it, then we could take it to the schools. People thought you could just take it to the schools, and they were unhappy, and they made noise, and so the school said, you can't do it anymore. <laughs> Woo, did people get upset with that? And I remember sitting in staff when that was first said, and I will confess my response was quite different from other responses. My response was this. It was never the school's responsibility to do our job. You see, brothers and sisters, it's never someone else's responsibility to carry forth the mission of the church. Christ has given the mission to us. And when we can partner with schools or partner with other groups so that we can advance our mission, we gladly do that. But we have to understand it's our responsibility. It's not something we push off on somebody else. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the ones that will push away the darkness by your presence and my spirit dwelling within you. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the one that gives the earth the flavor that it has. When we are, understand that we are part of the church and we turn from our sin and turn to God, we're devoted and live in faithfulness and we experience life transformation, we're going to have growing pains. People are going to come against us, but we continue in faithfulness. It's our responsibility to carry the good news of salvation to the world. It's not somebody else's. That deserved an amen, but I'm not going to say it again because I'm running out of time. But here's something I want us to think about. 
the last part of the scripture that we read. Did you get it? That there was a young man named Saul. And whenever they were stoning Stephen, they left their coats with Saul because Saul gave approval to what they were doing. Saul was his name in Hebrew. His name in Greek was Paul. And he goes on to become the greatest missionary of the church after he had been the greatest persecutor of the church. He goes on to write most of what we call the New Testament. And somehow or another, I think if Paul were here today and he could ask you an incomplete statement, here's what he would say. If you can't beat them, join them. Would you all pray with me?